This is Fusebox number 123, Fire in the Hole. And you know better than to play with matches. Hey, isn't 123 one of those spooky numbers? You know, I know it's not a prime number, but it still has that need for theremin, right? for joining us for another episode of Math with Mark. No, 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 no. That is not a show you would ever want. To me, the square root of pi is a pangolin. Hello, friends, and welcome in to this edition of Fusebox number 123, combustibly entitled Fire in the Hole. And I am your sitting on a cornflake waiting for the van to come host. Mark Rose, and over there, the always ignitable Deacon of Dials himself, Milk Keynes, everybody. Thank you kindly. Going to be a smoker this one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, literally. We have incredibly incendiary news to share regarding, um, well, just wait. We'll get to it. But uh, you better fix yourself up. A nice cup of relaxing chamomile tea. Uh, Or about three or nine straight shots. That might be in order as well, but certainly repeating it's only a matrix, it's only a matrix, might help in this instance. But uh, before we uh, climb into all of that... um, Oh, so, so did you have a good fourth? I'm still working on it. <laughs> but decent. I think I'd better go light now, though, because uh, I'm starting to hear colors. <laughs> no, I mean... Drinking on the job is definitely a perk, though, bro. Gotta say. Hey, uh, can I hit you off in there? Give me ten minutes and I'll... Uh, Tell you how my fifth was. (laughs) I meant, how was your 4th of July? You know, the 4th, Independence Day, you know? Getting hammered, blowing shit up till 3 a.m., losing a couple of thumbs in the process, (laughs) maybe firing off live rounds into the air and calling it patriotism. (laughs) Is that what you mean? (laughs) Yeah, something like that, yeah, huh? Dude, I gotta tell you. Celebrating the 4th of July, drinking myself stupid, and blowing 500 bucks on fireworks that only serve to scare the shit out of defenseless animals lost its limited charm when I was about 12 goddamn years old. <laughs> no. I'm a grown-ass man. I, I can drink myself stupid. Without the other horse shit that goes along with the fucking 4th of July and the perversion of it by inbred, mouth-breathing morons <laughs> who think lighting off sticks of dynamite makes them a patriot. <laughs> well, actually, I agree with pretty much everything you just said, especially the defenseless animals. I mean, the noise drives most dogs and cats absolutely insane. Uh, well, you know what, though? Iko and Milo, uh, our uh, Japanese uh, pocket squirrels here, our mascots on Fusebox, they're not particularly sensitive to that racket 
as a matter of fact, I think that both of them, they just slept through most of it. Well, uh, come to think of it, Milo uh, did actually get up once in the night. To grab a beer? It's so lifelike, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, a little wildebeest IPA, I think. You know, I gotta say, that stuff's grown on me. Those two rascals are becoming quite the uh, brewmasters. Um, but I, I digress. So, so yeah, pretty, uh, pretty uh, uneventful, actually, here. But uh, there were a bit more explosions than last year, but uh, still pretty civil, all in all. Uh, here in Oregon, friends, uh, fireworks are legal, but uh, I believe there are certain restrictions on the, the type of fireworks. Yeah, like... We can't fire off Sherman tanks and shit. And landmines are right out. You know, though, I wonder if aliens come through more in July just for the light show. Pretty. Pretty. Now, if you ask me, we need to come up with a better, dare I say, uh, more dignified way of celebrating this country's independence. I mean, look, I dig a good fireworks show as much as the next dude. But, you know, the professional shows like they do out here on the river, where it's safe and controlled, not the ones with shirtless numbskulls drunker than a $3 bill setting shit off that winds up burning down half a forest or puts the neighborhood kid's eye out because no goddamn adult was sober enough or smart enough to make sure everything was safe. So, how was your fourth? Vague. And you're back. (laughs) Damn, bro. I think I might have strained myself there a minute ago. Oh, man. No, I think a lot of people share that view from what I've gathered. Speaking of uh, gathering, we better gather ourselves together here and pay some bills. You know what I mean? Uh, yes, yes, you're right. I I, uh, I do indeed. And uh, you may fire when ready, Mr. Keynes. From the untamed jungles of Portland, Oregon, comes yet another undrinkable IPA. Part lager, part ale, part stout, but all beast. Wildebeest IPA. Made of the finest barleys from Botswana, the choicest malts from Madagascar, and premium hops from Hillsboro, Wildebeest IPA will kick your thirst right in the balls. Wildebeest IPA. Taste the beast. Mmm, beastie. Wildebeest IPA is not fit for human consumption. Please drink posthumously. The show for everybody, but not everybody will like it. And we are back. And uh, now, Mr. Keynes, I must ask, 
How was your fifth? <laughs> Empty. Now, was that a, a what, Wildebeest IPA right No there? way, bro. That, like, like the ad says, that crap is undrinkable. Like all IPAs. I'm sure our sponsor will love hearing that. Hey, if the taste like ass, burning, moldy, aftertaste shoe fits... Uh, speaking of fetid... Have we come up with a name for your Yoo-Hoo and vodka abomination? If we have, no one told me. Suicide Sally calls it a voodoo. <laughs> I can think of all kinds of reasons why that makes perfect sense. In fact, about the only thing that doesn't make sense is why anyone would drink one. Hey, listen, amigo. I've seen you drink some pretty weird shit. You got bottles up there in the bar with names that don't even have vowels, bro. <laughs> You drink that uh, kombuki or Chewbacca tea or whatever the hell it is. Like it's water. And, th and that shit tastes like nine kinds wrong. Fair enough, fair enough. But it's a, it's a kombucha, by the way. And it's a tea. So does kombucha stand for taste like ass? Don't you have any more taste buds to kill with your Yoohoo and vodka? You know? Don't you? We really do need to come up with a, a name for that, though. Uh, you and Jeff and I need to uh, convene and come up with something. You know, I still think we should open it up to our listeners to see what they might come up with, because... What do you think, folks? Don't we need to come up with a, a good name for a bad drink? Anyway, let's let's kick around some ideas at the, the next creative meeting. I'm game. I'm always up for a fuse box creative meeting. I'm just not sure my liver is. You know, if liver and onions were a drink, it'd be a Yoohoo and vodka. That hurt, bro. You hurt my feeling. <laughs> Tell me how comic books make you feel, Dave. Well, it'll make me feel too good. A couple of times you read a comic book, I chew up. So, friends, many of you may know of this classic publication of uh, satire and uh, iconic artwork. Well, it might be somewhat out there as old as you, but I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> well, there is that one decrepit group who still remember the good old days. You mean back when air was invented? Yes. Back after we lost the gills and the floppy tentacles. And, you know, we were able to walk upright and soon discovered leisure suits. <laughs> so back, way back, uh, this this chap named William Gaines founded a comic company called EC, uh, which stood for Entertaining Comics, which was founded in 1940. Oh, and uh, as a rather huge side note, uh, William Gaines' father, Max Gaines, was a publisher as well and uh, managed all American comics for DC back in the day and uh, is, by the way, credited with signing William Moulton Marston to create the first uh, female superhero. Who was that, you ask? Well, that was... Wonder Woman in uh, 1941. But in the 1950s, uh, William Gaines took a decidedly different path and uh, invented a genre known uh, as the horror comic. Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, Thrilling Suspense Stories, and a host of other titles that uh, <laughs> did not in any way flinch from the graphic depicting of uh, beheadings and shootings and a host of other Violent deaths, even um, and even the, the the suggested ends of people like 
being uh, sealed up in a tomb with a flesh-eating zombie or drinking uh, embalming fluid. Wait, I thought you liked that stuff. Uh, EC Comics? No, embalming fluid. You drink it all the time, right? No comment. So it gained the attention, of course, of the purity snooters back in 1954. Yeah, that's right. Same time as the investigations of un-American activities was commencing in the House. So the Senate here was going after juvenile delinquency in a huge way, particularly after this schlub named Frederick Wortham's book, Seduction of the Innocent, pointed out the, quote, evils of these uh, sacrilegious books that all the kids were reading. And it was these very books right here that were the cause of all the ills of society. And they should be banned. And the publishers of these books should be, well, skinned alive and then maybe burned and then thrown off a cliff. And then, well, needless to say, old Bill got called before the uh, Senate to uh, defend the entire comics industry, it would appear. Two decades ago, my late father was instrumental in starting the comic magazine industry. He edited the first few issues of the first modern comic magazine, Famous Funnies. Famous what? Funnies. I was the first publisher in these United States to publish horror comics. I'm responsible. I started them. Some may not like them. That's a matter of personal taste. It would be just as difficult to explain the harmless thrill of a horror story to a Dr. Wortham as it would be to explain the sublimity of love to a frigid old maid. What are we afraid of? Are we afraid of our own children? Do we forget that they are citizens too and entitled to the essential freedom to read? Or do we think our children so evil, so vicious, so simple-minded that it takes but a comic magazine story of murder to set them to murder of robbery to set them to robbery. And you know what? There, there was really no one else there to back him up at that hearing. About a year later, he ceased publication of these titles and took another severely left-hand turn. Uh, this time, taking this little comic he actually had started back in 1952 with Harvey Kurtzman called Mad, or Tales to Drive You Mad, and transformed that into a magazine format in 1955. And that publication uh, ran under him until the day he died, in 1992. He, he was quite the character, very, very flamboyant. And as, as the uh, legend goes, uh, he learned at one point that he had a single subscriber in the country of Haiti, so he arranged for the entire creative staff at MAD to fly to Haiti and formally present the renewal card to the chap who lived there. Went to his house. <laughs> then the guy's neighbor was so taken with this uh, uh, gesture that he himself bought a subscription. And, uh, and of course, after that, Gaines declared the trip to be a uh, huge financial success because the magazine had doubled it's Haitian circulation. <laughs> I dig his math. Uh, it's evidently a true story. It, um, and, and this magazine ran its entire run without a single paid advertisement, even though uh, the magazine uh, was sold off in the 1960s for uh, tax reasons. But uh, Gaines remained publisher uh, till his death. 
and uh, that's quite that's quite a feat. Yeah, I remember them. I wasn't into that stuff back then, but I remember all the crazy covers with a uh, Alfred E. Newman guy, the what me worry kid. Yeah, yeah, iconic, yeah, iconic indeed. Well, friends, it appears that uh, Mad is finally ceasing publication after now sixty-seven years, and uh, that's indeed. A milestone. Uh, there are some uh, remaining issues in the pipeline, evidently, and it uh, uh, will be over, though, in uh, a short while here. But wow, what a milestone indeed. I gotta say, I, I don't know how any magazine can survive these days, or, or newspapers either. Yeah, true, true. As a matter of fact, our colleague here at uh, Fusebox, Jeff Pollard, commented recently that uh, print is virtually dead, at least in that form. And, and sadly... There are a uh, few other methods of delivery that are walking corpses, but they just can't fade away gracefully yet. Well, now, I know you're talking about radio, but I still think it has some life left. Maybe, <laughs> but kind of like that trade publication that I uh, read all the time that was uh, back in the day like an inch and a half thick and is now just a travel brochure masquerading as the same magazine. The writing is on the wall, or I should say probably on the headstone. I think things in the broadcast world uh, as a whole are facing the realities of our new times, and they will either adapt or not. And in some ways, not is okay. Uh, Some of these forms uh, of uh, mass entertainment have been egregiously gouging talent of royalties and then strange underhanded deals and misrepresentations they've had a they've had an incredibly good ride up till now but uh, you know what it's time to get off well i'd agree that the talent has been shafted pretty much forever in this biz yes they have and when we return we will have more evidence of shenanigans and the 11-year cover-up of said shenanigans. And this one, friends, will give you that famous sinking feeling, believe me. Exit freedom of thought. TheFuseBoxShow.com So, friends, here begins a rather sad and tragic tale, I'm sorry to say. And it all sort of started with uh, Canadian rocker Brian Adams. Damn Canadians. No, no, Mr. Kane. Mr. Adams has done us all a service of great import by uh, looking under a moldering rock or two. No pun intended. So back in 2013, Adams was uh, preparing for uh, a retrospective of his hits from the 1980s. And naturally did what everybody would do in that instance. They went back to the source to uh, locate the masters of those recordings for his new project, ones that the uh, record company, in this instance, Universal Music Group, had archived for safekeeping. Uh-oh. Oh, yes. So, Mr. Adams contacted the archive department there and requested uh, said materials, only to be told that the masters could not be located. Adams said... I called everyone, former A&M employees, directors, producers, photographers, production houses, editors, even assistants of producers at the time. 
I can tell you with 100% certainty that I couldn't find anything at Universal that had been published to do with my association with A&M Records in the 1980s. If you were doing an archaeological dig there, you would have concluded that it was almost as if none of it had ever happened. Now, he eventually found a safety mix in his own archive in Vancouver labeled Unmastered Final Assembly, which presumably was a safety of the actual printmaster. Okay, I'm waiting for the other piano to fall. And here it comes. Flash forward six years, and uh, just a few weeks ago, New York Times Magazine does a story called The Day the Music Burned, detailing how in uh, 2008, a warehouse on the back lot of Universal, housing uh, master tapes from hundreds of artists from the 1940s to the 2000s, was tragically consumed in a fire. Okay, quoting the uh, UMG report here, more than 100,000 masters and an estimated 500,000 song titles had burned in the fire, including works by Billie Holiday, Chuck Berry, John Coltrane. The toll encompassed recordings made for several famous record labels, Decca, Chess, Impulse, ABC, MCA, Geffen, Interscope and Adam's own label, A&M. Confidential document prepared by UMG officials for a 2009, quote, vault loss meeting offered a rather bleak assessment of the damage. Quote, lost in the fire was undoubtedly a huge musical heritage. Holy carp. It gets worse, as you must have guessed by now. This uh, fire's damage was uh, not disclosed to the artists at the time, uh, back there in 2008. It was just a blip on the news radar and uh, evidently quietly suppressed by UMG. Now, the list of people's work affected by this fire is utterly astounding. If I was to read this entire list, honestly, folks, it would take over a half hour, over 700 names on this list, right? But just for a flavor, here's some. Rosemary Clooney, Peggy Lee, Pat Boone, Sidney Bichette, Betty Carter, Roland Kirk, Duke Ellington, John Coltrane, Quincy Jones, Groucho Marx, Mae West, Bob Hope, the Carter family, Dolly Parton, Glenn Campbell, Hoagie Carmichael, Slim Harpo, Elmore James, Otis Rush, Miriam Makiba, Hugh Masekela, The Who, Joe Cocker, Chuck Berry, Three Dog Night, Crosby and Nash, Buffy St. Marie, Bill Haley and the Comets, here's a stinger for you, Buddy Holly, Peter Frampton, Olivia Newton-John, Barry Gibb, The Dramatics, The Pointer Sisters, George Benson, Styx, Boston, 38 Special, Cher, Tom Jones, The Damned, Joe Jackson, Squeeze, Wang Chung, Patti Smith, Extreme, Danny Elfman, Oingo Boingo, Belle Biv DeVoe, Jodeci, Backstreet, Primus, Temple of the Dog, The Wallflowers, Heavy D and the Boys, Buster Rhymes, Common, Rodney Dangerfield, Bill Cosby, Chris Rock, 
even the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whose album, Remaining Awake Through a Great Revolution, a recording of a keynote address given at the AME Church Convention, was released in 1968 on Excello, a blues label whose masters were stored in the backlot vault. Seriously, just the tip of the iceberg there. The full list is online if you want to go into a deep depression and stick your head in the oven. But the point of this, okay, is that nobody knew. And that's where those record company pricks have begun feeling the wrath of those affected. Uh, Just a short time ago, a lawsuit was filed in uh, United States District Court in Los Angeles by five very well-known musicians and or uh, the estates thereof, the rock bands uh, Soundgarden and Hole, singer-songwriter Steve Earle, the estate of rapper Tupac Shakur, and Tom Petty's former wife, who owns uh, rights in some of uh, Petty's music. The suit, which seeks class action status, accuses UMG of breaching the contracts with artists by failing to protect their recordings and by failing to share any income received in insurance payments and legal settlements from the fire. The plaintiffs are seeking compensatory damages in an amount in excess of $100 million. That ain't anywhere near enough. Clearly. But of course, (laughs) this is only the first volley, right? Quoting now from the New York Times magazine here, Earlier in the week, Arnand de Puy-Fontaine, I think that's how to mangle his name, the chief executive and chairman of UMG's corporate parent, the French media conglomerate Vivendi, waved aside concerns that revelations of the fire would impact Vivendi's plans to sell up to 50% of the record company whose value was recently estimated at $33 billion. He told Variety that the controversy over the fire is, quote, just noise, end quote. (laughs) Now, I want to tie this rancid and still pulsating tentacle back to the thing we were talking about on the last show, okay? How a bunch of folks on YouTube were making a tremendous exodus from that platform— due in part, uh, for many, uh, to the ridiculous copyright infringement claims made by, uh, who is the largest legal troll shutting these folks down? Oh, yeah, that's right, UMG. Uh The chap I referred to last week, uh, Rick Beato, who had uh, virtually all of his videos (laughs) demonetized by these folks, despite the fact that he's a a Grammy-winning guitarist and has uh, played on several of the tracks he refers to, Rick had a spectacular idea. He suggested that when uh, this this next offense occurs, uh, a demonetizing of content, due to copyright infringement, that it should be legally challenged with the stipulation that, well, you say you own this particular work, Please present the actual master as evidence. In many cases, friends, this just will not be possible. And if uh, enough folks rally this defense, it's going to look mighty silly. 
Uh, I mean, really, really fast. Yeah, this one's going to get ugly. I I'm just scanning this list, and man, Nirvana, Ken Nordine, yep. The Police, yep. Iggy Pop, Sun Ra, yep. R.E.M., Steely Dan, yep. McCoy, Tyner, yep. Jesus. Yeah, and another case could also be made regarding some uh, legal limitations regarding the length of time a record company can uh, can hold masters. In In many cases... It's, uh, it's about 35 years, and the materials are returned to the artist. So th th that's an issue. And uh, Oh, and, and uh, uh, Billboard magazine reported that Patrick Krauss, the head UMG archivist, quote, sent members of his team into the 10 vaults the company keeps around the world to verify the location and condition of its more than 3.5 million assets. <laughs> it seems that his second... Uh, Project Phoenix-like effort is underway, uh, this time under pressure from both artists and the public. The Project Phoenix that they referred to there is this uh, little title they gave to uh, ascertaining what they lost and what they actually had backups for. Because the other, the other point is that gets you is that in many cases, certainly Elmore James and, and people of that uh, time period, much of this, quote, master tape, was the tape. <laughs> In other words, they had a mic, they played, that's it. So there may be a safety somewhere, but generally, given the time frame, probably not. So as I say, I don't think we've heard the last of this stinky thing. We, however, have heard the last from this particular edition of Fusebox as we uh, grab our masters and scuttle back under the dishwasher where it's safe and cool. But not before thanking our contributors to this effort. Carol Adams, Levi Buchanan, Laura Dine, and Jeff Pollard. Thanks, as always, to the totally legit efforts of the Master of Meters over there, Milk Keynes. A pleasure. And uh, may I say, a privilege, sir. Really? Well, that's quite no. the... No, not at all. I'm, ju I'm just doing my impression of a record company executive. <laughs> See, that's how it starts. They're all warm and charming, and then they burn all your work and lie about it. Mm -hmm. Then try to stick you with the bill to clean it up. You know? Thanks as well to you, friends, for uh, pushing play on this installment of the show. And uh, as we say, please subscribe and like and all those assorted things that we are uh, nagged about uh, all the time as it uh, truly does assist us in the brave and somehow curious work we do here at Fusebox. I have been your waiting for the lawyer in his foyer, host Mark Rose, saying, uh, until our next cartoon. Fuse.